0: The clock is now running on the Playbook Podcast, the podcast where you take a deeper dive into the game of business, leadership, teamwork, character, the things that drive your motivation and build dedication. When you get a good look at the game plan of great business leaders, you start to formulate your own playbook and your own rise to the top. Make your next play your best play. And now, here are today's game captains, Glenn Amaral and Andy Phillips. Let's go! Welcome back to the Playbook Podcast. I'm Andy Phillips. Joining me, as always, is Glenn Amaral. Glenn, how are we doing? I'm doing great, Andy. Thanks. We have another great guest, as always, here uh, on the podcast. And uh, But let's kick this thing off. Let's get into some pre-game questions here. Uh, Glenn, you got a question for me?
1: Yeah. Um, you've played at uh, you know sports at a high level as an offensive lineman. You got to play uh, uh, for a few months with the Packers. What do you do before a big game or a big event? Um, how do you prepare mentally and psychologically?
0: So I I firmly believe in the calm before the storm. I, that's the type of person I am. I'm not the two hours before the game headbutting people in the locker room. It's <laughs> right to me that to me that looks great in Hollywood, but it's not realistic. Um, to give to, honestly, as a, as a to be honest with you, my junior year in high school, I used to sit in my car before I head to the locker room, and I would listen to "My Heart Will Goes On" by Celine Dion. It'd be the last song <laughs> I would listen to because it would just boom. It just relaxed me because, you know, they always used to say a clenched fist gets tired. No reason to clench it before you have to. So uh, exactly. I would say my, my whole thing is just relax. Now, I did. I'm not superstitious, but I did have to put everything on my left side before my right side. So I guess. <laughs> nice. All right. Nice. I got one for you, Glenn, in relation to uh, our guest today. Who is your favorite fictional psychologist? Hmm. Fictional uh, is the key word. What's that? Fictional is the key word. Fictional.
1: Well, you've got um, uh, Dr. Melfi with the Sopranos, but I think I'm going to go with Bob Newhart.
0: Okay. Do you know who Bob Newhart is, Andy? I've heard the name. (laughs) That's good (laughs) enough, right? The Bob Newhart Show, right? That's right.
1: Yeah. He was a psychologist in the Bob Newhart Show, so I'm going to have to go with that.
0: I got to answer this one because I actually have two that jump out. One is TV show. I got to go Dr. Frazier Crane. Hilarious. Mm -hmm. More for the cheer side than the Frazier side. And then, but I think the greatest acting job of all time was Robin Williams as Sean McGuire in Good Will Hunting. I actually think that was the single greatest acting performance of all time. But anyways, move on, Glenn.
1: All right. Um, Well, today we've got a a fantastic guest. I'd like to to introduce Dr. David Wyman, who is the president of Wyman Consulting, which is a firm dedicated to talent assessment, executive coaching, and leadership development. Uh, David blends executive experience with uh, psychological training uh, to help businesses achieve their goals. So uh, welcome to our show, David.
2: Thank you. It's great to be with both of you.
1: Awesome. Um, The way this works, David, is what we're going to do is the first half of the playbook is we're going to ask you uh, questions that are more uh, business oriented. And then we're going to go into a halftime, learn a little bit uh, more about you, have some fun, which will be led by Andy. And then the second half is going to be about leadership. So I'm going to kick it off with the the first question. Um, You mentioned that Um, great interviews don't always equal great job performances, which is so, so true. How can using outside experts like the Wyman Consulting help with talent assessment?
2: I think that sometimes a candidate for a job for whatever reason, will share with someone external something that they haven't yet shared with the people inside the company who are interviewing them. And I know this because so many times somebody will share something with me that's actually disqualifying for the job, (laughs) that they haven't told the employer. And I'll check in with the employer and I'll say, hey, did they mention to you that they're actually thinking of starting like this league where they teach kids soccer and that's what they want to do (laughs) full-time. No, they never mention that. And so I think that sometimes they feel with an external and it doesn't have to be me. It could be any external part of the process. um, They let their guard down a little bit and they might share something that's super relevant that they haven't yet told um, the
0: employer. That's (laughs) That's great. great. All right. uh, My question would be, you know, your profits, and strong, effective leadership are directly correlated, and they are directly related. So, how can executive coaching increase productivity?
2: I think sometimes, and, and this, I mean, this is just like life, right? I mean, sometimes uh, if you put it in the in the realm of athletics, um, I remember from the uh, from the great uh, sports movie Invincible, uh, there's something, there's like a little cue that one of the linemen, I forget it's Frank LaMaster. Um, gives to vince papali and he tells him to watch the the knuckles uh, on Boy the ground the exactly and it's this little thing that that this external person at that point frank Lemaster, he's mentoring he's not really coaching he's mentoring him but that's a specific thing that frank lemaster tells um vince papali that it makes a permanent change because papali adjusts what he's doing based on that and that's no different than in business and coaching with an executive sometimes the coach is able to recognize something that our goal is always to increase self-awareness and then responsibility for making some change based on that awareness. Well, that's exactly what happened in that example. And that's exactly what a good coach is doing. I don't think they're they're mentoring in the sense that they're telling the person, hey, why don't you have your meetings for 45 minutes instead of an hour? And then you'll save 50 <laughs> minutes on every meeting. That doesn't take a genius to figure that out. But I think it's more about noticing something that when you observe it to that executive, they go, oh, wow. Uh, I am doing that. And maybe there's a a different way of doing it. And and often it's something they're sharing. So for example, a lot of senior leaders are inquisitive, right? They want to know something. And so they start asking people questions about a problem. The way that's perceived though, sometimes by the staff is that the boss thinks they're an idiot because they keep asking (laughs) them. And I think even a subtle change, like telling people, hey, you know, I have an engineering background and I really am interested to know sort of what the root cause is of a problem. That's why I'm gonna ask you a few questions right now to find out about that. It can kind of take some of the heat out of that conversation. And now when they're asking questions, the team members realize, oh, he wants to know more about what happened. He's not asking because he thinks that I have nothing between my ears.
1: <laughs> right, right, exactly. I love, I
0: love the examples too.
1: That That's a good answer. Um, through your social media, and and you know I follow your social media because I always get some takeaway from it, which is oh, thank you. You know, what we're doing here is looking for takeaways. So through your social marketing, you've established yourself as a resource with your blogs, um, rise and wine, and um, you know, and even more. How does this translate to new business and grow your brand?
2: It's for. For me, it's mainly been a re-engagement tool. So if you think about the whole kind of marketing process for a company, um, it begins with attracting people, then engaging them, then converting them to become clients, then serving them. But after that, how do we re-engage them? How do they? How do we have them come back to us? And in a lot of cases, I had done seminars for years, live stand-up seminars um, with groups. And over time there's like hundreds and eventually thousands of people who I've been able to reach that way, which I feel totally fortunate about, by the way, because I don't know that I'm necessarily the best person to stand up and teach somebody something. I don't see myself that way. Um, But I really see the opportunity to help people learn by having their own conversations and their own discussions. Um, And those people who maybe saw me in a seminar 10 years ago might not remember what that's like. And the whole point of Rise and wine was just to show them, hey, here's what it's like to talk to this guy, like to, to recall that for them. So the original strategy didn't have much strategy to it to be <laughs> honest with you. Um, really two people that um, I worked with, one who still works with me, said, you know, you don't have any video as part of your marketing. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I don't really have anything to say. And they're like, well, you're constantly (laughs) talking in the office. So why don't you just record that? Like, you know, I'll remember something from a book or just like the the movie example that we talked about earlier. Um, And they said, you know, like when you're standing at the door of your office and you're telling us, oh, you know, there was a scene in this movie and this thing happened. why? Like, just record that. Like, don't get all fancy. Just record it. Mm And and it was done super impromptu. The first one that I did, I think the camera angle was like facing (laughs) up, which was horrifying to me personally and I'm sure other people. Um, But I, I kind of realized one of the things that they mentioned were the examples of other people who were doing this and had a huge following, but they seemed unscripted, they were super spontaneous, they were pretty short, and there was a little lesson in there. And when they showed me those examples, I thought, well, that's just real people connecting like this conversation right here. And so they're not edited, they're really just a glimpse, again, for the person that I'm trying to re-engage of what it was like to work with me before. And I'd say that what's been successful about it is them getting back to me and wanting either coaching or something with their company, or quite honestly, even sharing a resource with me that's helpful to me. So I don't know that there's a straight line between those videos and saying, oh, these profitable engagements happen because of that. But even if I'm getting something that they're they're just commenting on something that I didn't know about, uh, or saying, hey, you gave this example from this one field, but I had that same experience in the military." or I had that same experience in some other area of life, it helps me learn also. So, uh, And they they take about as long to record uh, or to prepare. I'm usually thinking about it on my way into work, or I have colleagues who might shoot me uh, like an article that they saw that they thought was interesting. But creating these connections is the main benefit of that. And I have to say, particularly during the pandemic, I don't feel as lonely as I guess I could right. right. there's people responding to that.
1: Yeah, and, I, and Andy, did you know uh, Dr. David Wyman two months ago?
0: Uh, through you, I've definitely heard of it, but. Yes, so it, definitely.
1: Those are some of the things that, that happen, right? So, you know, there's people now in my circle that will mention something about a rise in wine or a blog that we saw uh, that you put out. So, you know, I would like your philosophy because it's not about saying, hey, come to me for uh, you know consultation. It's about being a resource, and that's that's really fits in with my uh, my philosophy. So it's really you're, you're and, doing a great job with that.
2: Yeah,
0: thank you. And Glenn mentioned your blog and your recent blog. Everyone matters. Uh, you talk about employee retention, and that's huge in our business as well. So can you just elaborate a little bit on that before we get into halftime?
2: I think that people at the top, it, first of all, you know, obviously the way any organization is organized, it's sort of lonely up there, right? but the employee doesn't feel that way. The employee True. feels this connection with the leader and the leader is seeing a lot of people, but the employee is, is oriented towards that boss at the top along with the other people that they're connected to. And so being aware that that individual's experience of the leader uh, is super powerful is something that I think any leader can be reminded of. And and what brought that uh, blog post up was an article where Uh, An employer was asked how many employees he had, and it was a really positive profile. But I think that the employer undid all of it by saying he didn't know. And he started throwing out these wild guesses that were thousands of employees apart. And how would I feel if I worked for that person? I thought, he doesn't even know. He he's can't even guess within a range of 2,000 how many people work. working. By the way, it's not an organization that has half a million employees. So his wild guesses were like 20% of the total that the article reported. And I Ooh. thought, man, like maybe the something in that person's mind was like, I'm so important. I don't even know how many employees I have. And like the employee is going to feel in direct proportion to that really small. And so I think that our ability and it doesn't take a lot. So if you notice somebody's doing something really well, and you're able to say to them, I really appreciate you going the extra mile for that customer, because that totally connects to our values here about making the customers feel awesome. That employee is going to that took 15 seconds for me to say it, that employee is going to remember that for the rest of their lives, that the boss acknowledged that. So that was really the, the idea there is every single person matters. And you have a lot of leverage to to show them that, and it doesn't take a lot of time, but it's really meaningful.
1: Yeah, it, re- it reminds wow. me of a piece on—I um, don't know if it's sixty minutes—but when all the airlines were having huge losses, uh, Southwest, um, the CEO would go to different hubs and he'd say, "Hey, how's you know your granddaughter? Is she doing better?" and and it was really amazing that you know the employees just felt like they're part of something bigger, so they're Great willing example. to take a pay cut during this downtime to make them the only profitable airline during that time period, which uh, was a real eye-opener. It really does matter.
0: Great example. With that, we are now at halftime. And, David, the way we do halftime on this show is we get away from business, we get away from leadership, and we want to get right down into some fun questions with you, let the listeners get to know David Wyman a little bit more. Um, Speed round, again we let people know that hey you can answer with one word i might have a follow-up glenn might have a follow-up question to your answer or you can have an explanation yourself so it's not your classic speed round where we're trying to answer 10 questions in 10 seconds so are you ready for the speed round i am all right let's go we love asking this question on here first car you ever owned that you own the title and we would like year make model color
2: it was a dark blue 1980 chevy chevette Four speed that did not have air conditioning or a cover on the glove box, glove compartment. And every time I would stop short or accelerate stuff, everything would fly out of that little glove box. It was the best car ever. It was like driving a plow in the snow. I had cinder blocks that I put over the rear axles to give it some weight. And the prior owner had, uh, his dad was an electrician and he put in a Pioneer Super Tuner stereo with a cassette in there which at the time was a phenomenal thing and he cut out of the hatch these put in these giant jensen coaxial speakers speakers it was like riding around in a concert hall it was awesome. <laughs>
0: that's great what is your biggest fear it can be as little as a spider or as big as anything you want
2: Um, my biggest fear is being in the wrong place at the wrong time. in almost any context, you know, (laughs) I I got on the wrong plane, you know, I'm sitting there. I'm supposed to go to Tucson and they say, uh, we're about to take off for Florida. Please fasten your seatbelts. Like (laughs) something where I'm publicly just in the exact wrong spot. I walk into the wrong door someplace where I'm a meeting. I don't belong in anything like that.
0: So home alone two, if you've ever seen it, must give you nightmares. (laughs) i have not seen it i am gonna watch watch it it, and i will get nightmares (laughs) (laughs) all right what is your favorite book or your favorite podcast either one
2: um favorite book or favorite podcast i really I, i like this podcast called reasonable doubt which i listen to without fail every saturday mark garagos the attorney from la and adam carolla who's a wonderful podcaster and documentarian um, and, and comedian and their combination of looking at the law. And then Adam has all these amazing analogies about like things that relate to everyday life. And I'd, I'd compare it to you're sitting at a diner and these two people are having this awesome co- conversation in the booth next to you and you just stay quiet.
0: So you can hear all this cool stuff they're talking about. <laughs> I love it.
1: I'm going to have to check that out.
0: What is it's your, a, yeah. what is your favorite movie?
2: Um, I guess the movie that made the biggest impact on me was it's a wonderful life just because <laughs> of these core themes in there that really are about just what's important to people and what really matters. And it's sort of, you know, I guess now that I think about it, there's, there's a sappy aspect to it, but that's always just, it's made a big impact on me. And when I watch it again, I learn something new the next time. So.
0: So it's a great movie and this is our second podcast we're filming today. The last podcast also brought up. It's a wonderful life.
2: It it,
1: it's interesting that um from a psychological seemed to
2: recoil at that by the way. (laughs) Like he was smelling something bad there.
1: I I read something where um Jimmy Stewart was going through uh PTSD when um saw saw that article.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because he was in the war. Uh, favorite musician or band? Um
2: favorite. I guess all all of that combined is uh, Dave Brubeck when he's in a trio or in another group, a quartet or quintet, Um, the jazz uh, piano player always uh, just loved everything from that group.
0: All right. If you went to a zoo, what animal are you most excited to see?
2: Um, Because I find this both interesting and revolting at the same time, it would have to be an animal called the hedge pig because I think... At whatever point they're sitting, I mean, obviously the animal didn't name itself, but at whatever point the people were sitting around that room going, What do we call this thing? And they go, A hedge pig. Like, I got to see what that's you all about. See it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> lions boring. A hedge pig? There we go. Please, everybody's seen a
2: lion, but a hedge pig? And there's no, look, you just mentioned lions. So there's sports teams named after lions. So there's no sports teams. There's no like the Sheboygan hedge pigs.
0: There should be. Well, I'll tell we you got that. The,
1: iron, the iron pigs. Iron pigs, for the yes. Pigs. <laughs> we're
0: close. All right. Um, first thing in your cup in the morning is it coffee, tea, orange juice, water, or something else? It's coffee. Cheers.
2: Yes, Agreed. absolutely. <laughs> There's still some in here.
0: All right. Uh, what would be worse for you? Not in general. Not you're not <laughs> you're not you're not envisioning that you are actually doing this. What would be worse for David to do? Sing karaoke at a business conference or have to give an educational speech at a bar on a friday night
2: i think the karaoke would be worse
0: i agree because at the end of the day if you're at the bar those people are a little liquored up or boozed up they're actually going to find humor in it and
2: they won't remember it the next day
0: boom there you go all
2: right is a hot dog a sandwich it is absolutely not a sandwich
0: do you have reasoning behind it
2: A sandwich is something that I could put in the refrigerator and eat the next day, like the leftover. I'm not eating a day-old hot dog that was sitting in my refrigerator. I don't even know what that would look like because I've never saved a hot dog. A hot dog, you whatever you don't eat, you throw out. You wouldn't do that with a magnificent corned beef special. you put (laughs) that bad boy in the fridge for the next day. So it's not only do I think it's not a sandwich, but anybody who does think it's a sandwich – I don't even know what, what other categories of life that person's confused about. You Listen, question their ability to need,
0: walk. They need
1: to get on the walk. couch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. And the last question of the speed round, what does a perfect weekend look like to you? Going to the beach with nothing to do. Which beach? Are you Jersey? Or are you Delaware? Or New
2: Jersey? Yeah. I've spent every summer of my life there and just find it the awesome, the best beach I've ever been to. And I, I try to go to beaches and other places that I'm visiting, but but that part of South Jersey is just very easygoing. You know, uh, it, It's there's nothing commercial around there. Um, and just uh, the the opportunity to be out. There. And I don't care what I'm doing. If I'm walking or if I'm talking to people or reading, it's all good as long as I'm at the beach.
0: Phenomenal. Well, David, you killed it. You killed halftime. That was great. Uh, we're moving on to the second half, which is a leadership and bi- or an experience-focused question. So based on leadership, how do we handle difficult conversations with employees that just aren't performing well?
2: There's an excellent model that comes from the Center for Creative Leadership that is called Situation Behavior Impact. And as briefly as you can, you sum up what the situation was. Hey, at the meeting yesterday, that's the situation. Uh, What was the behavior? I noticed you rolled your eyes every time Glenn was talking. That's the behavior. What's the impact? And then Glenn didn't say anything the rest of the meeting. This model of hitting these specific points briefly, because as soon as you start giving feedback to somebody, they start planning their defense. They start getting ready to explain. Mm -hmm. The longer you talk, the more anxious they're going to get. The more anxious they get, the less well they listen, right? And so I think that when you are specific, you give that situation, and only what you observed, you can't say, I know you must have been in a really bad mood because you rolled your eyes. I don't know that. All I know is what I saw. What I saw is at the meeting, you rolled your eyes when Glenn was talking and he didn't talk again the rest of the meeting. That's all observable stuff. We don't need to agree no assumptions. On your feelings, no assumptions there. And so, and and turning it over quickly to the other person lets them start giving their side of that. And so I think that when you're giving constructive feedback, just, be, you don't want to wait six months to do it either. Because now you have all these different examples and it feels like a court case to the other person. So I like that super brief, structured way of doing it. Um, My usual suggestion to people is try to say it in three sentences, you know, (laughs) like keep it brief, 10 words per sentence or less, because again, as soon as we start having that conversation, they're going to start building up in their mind that defensiveness. Uh, the other thing is don't make a giant deal out of that meeting. Because if you say, I want to talk to you Thursday at 3.59 about what happened yesterday, <laughs> they're not going to be able to do anything else until that meeting. Oh. Um, and so I do think that to the, the less formal that you can make that conversation, and I don't mean to... to it to mix it in with other things. It's important enough to give constructive feedback in a, in a separate conversation. But I really like that situation behavior impact model.
1: Yeah, that That's Great. absolutely perfect. You know, just say what you got to say. Nothing's worse than like waiting a weekend to find out what's going on.
2: You, you also want to you also don't want to jump to conclusions about what they're going to say, because we don't know right. what their side of it is. They might say, "Hey, I've had an eye issue, and I'm seeing an eye doctor about it, mm-hmm. but I was told to blink and look up. Whatever it is, we don't we don't know what the reason is going to be."
1: Exactly. Um, my next question, David, is how do how do we keep and develop great leaders?
2: I think that everybody has these things that they want to contribute at work. If we have found decent people who are motivated to help in some way. Um, And identifying as early as you can the things that they wish to do, the things they wish to accomplish, the things that are important to them is really valuable. Not everybody wants to be in a leadership role. And sometimes when we push them in there because we think they can do it, um, we've missed an opportunity to make use of the talents they really want to contribute. And so I think a lot of times all we have to do is ask, like, where do you see yourself here in the future. And it's it's okay if you want to continue doing what you're doing. That's awesome. Um, but are there higher level roles that you might be interested in? And learn that as early as you can. A lot of leaders say, well, if I ask, then I can't fulfill what they said they want to do. Well, guess what? They didn't just suddenly start thinking of that magically because you asked them. They already <laughs> right. had that aspiration. And so I would ask as early as I can where they see themselves, what they want to get involved with. And another question that I really like is, is there anything you're not doing right now that you'd like to do? And let them share that with you. You can say as the manager, by the way, I can't guarantee that you'll get that thing to do, but Mm -hmm. I want to learn that because I want to be aware of it. Um, The worst thing that can happen is you have someone who leaves a company in a leadership role and you replace them without really understanding who on your team would be willing to step up and do that thing. Um, And I'd say one last thing is a lot of times when a leader leaves, we never even ask ourselves, well, should we even be doing all that stuff the same way? Maybe there's people who would pick off different parts of that job because they'd like to do that. And we don't necessarily want to, as as a reflex, just replace the person. Maybe we should look at what the job is and see how else could we do those things.
0: Yeah, you're more so replacing the responsibilities than the actual person. Exactly. Yeah, it's a great way of putting it. Well,
1: that's great. Well, that brings me to the next question. Um, Tell us about your 360 uh, degree assessment of leaders and how it can um, improve success for uh, the organization.
2: It's a structured way of getting feedback from everybody around, excuse me, that leader. And I'd say there's good parts and bad parts to that. If you already have an open, positive feedback culture, then you're already getting that information. And so the 360 isn't advised for everybody. And another time not to use it is if you can't wait for them to hear the truth because you're afraid to tell them already. You're having the three, oh, well, we'll get them in the 360. That's a bad time. I, I would not recommend doing it then. But it can be super helpful for people who are maybe one year into a role and you right. really want to help them get some information uh, that, that's helpful to them.
1: Now, does that work with a smaller organization where Happy, you're going to know that the feedback is coming from somebody? And and I know people get concerned giving feedback, even if it's anonymous.
2: I don't believe in using anonymous feedback for 360s for that exact reason, mm-hmm. uh, because the half the time the person's wondering who said it. Um, So, I use a method that takes that feedback and creates themes about it. Mm. So, if we hear from three or more people that in meetings you tend to cut people off before they've said everything they have to say, then they don't have to know that Joe said that because Mm -hmm. three or more people said it. um, And we find a way of putting that feedback in a way that is helpful to the person, but but we don't want people to wonder, man, I know that that uh, Lauren in in uh, accounting has always had it in for me, and she's the one who said that. Um, so we don't use the style where you actually see the verbatim comments of people because right. I don't see that as very helpful.
0: Awesome. Makes sense to me. All righty. So we are on to our last play of the game or last question. We call it the Hail Mary question. Uh we asked it to everybody. You're very successful. You've got to this point in your life for a reason. However, go back to 22-year-old David, and you get to give him a word of advice. What would it be?
2: Listen as well as you can. It's the best way to learn. And when you do that, other people listen to you in return. I think a lot of times in life, I was anxious to say something. I'm going to be anxious to learn something. So that's the advice I would have given myself back then.
0: That's great. And a lot of young people, I know, like, I've been there, I'm sure. Um, A lot of times when somebody's talking, all you're thinking about is what your response is going to be, not what they're actually saying.
2: Listen, I, I didn't play professional football, but I played in high school and I was a walk-on at Temple as a kicker, which you might not consider playing football. But oh, I remember is. in high school, the coach, if he thought somebody was listening, when well, they had their helmet on, you know, there's the ear holes on either side, he would put his hand on one side of the helmet. He'd talk it to the other side, then he'd put his hand over it and like shake it a little bit, <laughs> hoping it would hit something. So I that didn't happen to me. But when I saw it, I thought, maybe you should listen a little more. Like Maybe that's a good thing.
0: I love it.
1: Well that's awesome. Well um, David I'd like to to thank you for opening up your playbook oh, today and uh, I'd like to give you like 30 45 seconds for your elevator pitch let people know how they can get a hold of you and uh...
2: the uh, the website is wymanconsulting.com and that may be in comments that you print up but it's uh, w e i m a n consulting.com and All we do is try to help people reach their biggest goals. Uh, So I view myself really as a problem solver, forget all the technical stuff. uh, Because I asked somebody once, What do you tell people you've referred to me? She was my biggest referral source. And she said, I'd be sitting there over lunch, someone would tell me a problem, and I'd say, I know the guy who can fix that. And uh, I rearranged all my marketing based on that because that really is what I do. The telephone number here at the office is 610-642-3040. Um, and like I said, we really just love helping people achieve their biggest goals. And it was great uh, having this conversation with you guys also.
1: well, that's I really great, enjoyed it,
2: Dave.
1: Yeah, it was awesome. Um, thanks again for joining us. Oh, my uh, pleasure. Be sure to comment on our on our social platforms. Uh, my name's Glenn Amaral.
0: I'm Andy Phillips.
1: What's in your playbook?